Welcome to Healthcare Upside Down with your host, Dr. Nick Vanterhaven, and brought to you by ECG Management Consultants. You can learn more about the show on the program's page at healthcarenowradio.com or on our blog at ecgmc.com slash hud. The U.S. spends more on healthcare per capita than any other country on the planet. So why don't we have superior outcomes? Why haven't the principles of capitalism prevailed? And why do American consumers have so much trouble accessing and paying for healthcare? Each week, Healthcare Upside Down will dive into these and other issues with ECG principal, Dr. Nick, and guest panelists as they discuss the upsides and downsides of healthcare in the U.S. and how to make the system work for everyone. And we end with your better pill to swallow, the conclusion to today's episode with insights on challenges and changes that improve healthcare. Now here's your host, Dr. Nick. When I was practicing medicine as a young doctor, I volunteered to talk to the patient's relatives and have the difficult discussions with them. It was not something that was fun to do, but I recognized the importance of it and how significant it was for the family and relatives. You naturally got a lot of experience with patients since you were at the bedside treating them and talking to them. Sadly, this is not so much the case in our current healthcare system where junior doctors spend 70 to 80% of their time in rooms looking at screens, interacting with the electronic medical record systems. But that's a story and opportunity for another show. But when it came to the relatives of patients, there was not as much opportunity, so I always volunteered. I remember at the time thinking I was good at communicating news. To be clear, bad news. In this case, oftentimes the death of a close relative to a family member. I believed I was compassionate and supportive and did a good job of handling the emotions of the family members and above all understood what they were experiencing and going through. Nothing could be further from the truth, as I discovered when my own father died some years later. Till that time, no close family member had died in my circle, and it was only going through that experience that made me realize how difficult it is to truly comprehend the emotions and feelings unless you've had your own similar personal experience. That's not to say you cannot empathize without personally experiencing things, but it is a much harder task. Over the last several years, we've heard a recurrent theme of including the patient's voice and incorporating their opinions and perspectives into healthcare services. But while I've heard a lot of talk about this, I've seen much less execution. We hear it all the time at conferences and healthcare events. We are all patients, and this is true, but often hides the reality of patient experiences and feedback. April is Testicular Cancer Awareness Month and is the most common cancer in young men aged 20 to 35 years old. The good news is it's highly treatable and has very good outcomes, but that is only possible if it's discovered and treated promptly. And for my guest this week, he was fortunate to be carrying out regular personal screening and discovered a lump in his testicle that led him on a cancer journey, thankfully to an ultimate positive outcome, but not without some bumps and challenges that with the patient voice could be smoothed out or avoided completely. Join me on the Healthcare Upside Down show as I talk with Steve McMillan, a principal at ECG Management Consultants.
Hi, Steve. Welcome to the show. Hi, Nick. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. So uh, we're talking a very personal story here, and uh, it, this is actually a, a journey for you that uh, I think most people um, will understand, um, will resonate, obviously, in different ways. But you, uh, you had a, a clinical condition that arose. It was out of the blue. Tell us your story. Yeah, in um, in 2021, um, I'm in my my young mid 30s and um, was diagnosed with testicular cancer. Um, so in spring of 21, uh, within a, a five day period, uh, found a lump, went to the doctor, went to a specialist and oncologist, and and had surgery um, all within five days. Um, wow. That's yeah. <laughs> um, a speedy so, response, right? Yeah. And so as, as an access consultant, I did really appreciate the referral turnaround time and, and how quickly I was able to go through the system. Um, my wife was pregnant at the time. There was a lot happening. Um, but the good news was um, the, the surgery got rid of the cancer uh, for the time being. And I was able to go back to work the next day after surgery. So it was, it was almost as though nothing happened. It's big news, um, but it also, you know, testicular cancer, I've had multiple doctors say, well, if you're going to have a cancer, testicular is the one to have because it's a near 100% survival rate. Um, the, where this turned into more of a journey is that from that surgery, my care team decided to go on a surveillance plan so that every three months I had some labs and images just to make sure it didn't spread. And sure enough, uh, three months later, the cancer had spread into my lymph nodes. So from there, another quick turnaround. On a, a Friday afternoon, I, I got that news and I had one week to um, shut everything down and I was in chemo um, two weeks later. And so from a professional, from a personal standpoint, obviously is, is crazy news to say, Hey, you're out for three months. Um, you're not going to be able to, to work. You're going to have trouble sort of taking care of your kids, et cetera. Um, but the journey began. I, I went on a three-month journey, four rounds of chemo. Um, you know, na name it, everything in the book happened to me uh, as small as losing my hair to as big as uh, being in the hospital for a week with a, a pretty rough infection. Um, so there was a lot that happened and, but the good news is three months after that I was done, I was, um, the cancer was totally gone. Um, and now, um, at the time of this recording, we're at about a, a year and a half after that and I, I'm cancer free and, and on the surveillance, um, plan. So first of all, thanks for sharing. Uh, secondly, I'm, you know, delighted to hear that you've had, Obviously, what I I think we would all describe as a positive outcome, um, you know, in the case of cancer, we typically don't talk about cure as a 100 percent, but it's as close to that as possible. And right. you know, indeed, the whole surveillance uh, activity, I think, continues on for, for many people. I mean, that's something that, you know, continues to provide additional stress because each time you sort of lead up to that and you know it's very gracious of you to share this story and you're doing so 
for some very specific reasons. And before we get into that, I, I want to just highlight something that you just gloss over, but it's really important from a, a health standpoint, was a screening issue. This would not have been picked up if you had not been screening, which you clearly were. Right. And this is an important message for all men. Yes. That they need to be screening and, um, you know, examining their testicles in the same way that women examine their breasts on a regular basis. And it sounds almost trivial, but it's not. And it's really important. And that's the difference between success and failure in this particular instance. So I just want to, you know, shout out to that. But let's get into the the, the journey. So, you know, positive outcome. But you had a number of experiences that I think really tell a story that, you know, is maybe not quite as positive, but I would say relatively easy to fix. So tell us a little bit about some of those experiences and what stood out to you. Yeah, so I, I mentioned at the beginning that um, I focus on patient access, right? So a lot of what we do looks at contact centers and scheduling and referrals and patient experience and, and all those great things. And so you know, I'm, I'm blessed and cursed with the fact that as I go through any physician's office, that's all I'm seeing, right? And it's it's no different than if you're consulting on an airline every time you flew, you're seeing all the things that they're doing well or they're doing wrong. I'll start by saying my care team was amazing. Every doctor, every nurse, every staff that was involved was amazing. I would go through the same system again. What I will say is there were some operational or administrative things that I noticed as a consultant that I'd say, hey, with every practice or every health system, this was this would be one of the first things we'd change. Um, but then there were also things that, despite my 10 years of, of experience in this area, I'd never considered before. And most of those things didn't necessarily have to do with the X's and O's of how to answer a call or how to schedule an appointment, but more of how to make sure the patient is feeling the right way, has the right experience, has the right interactions with their care team. So one, one trivial but profound example for me is that every time I called my cancer center, which was a lot, right? I mean, I, I was in that cancer center um, almost every day for those, those three months. And so there was a lot of calling, um, a lot of scheduling, a lot of calling the nurse, et cetera. Every single time, um, there was a bit of hold, at least. They, they seemed to be staffed pretty well, but there would always be some hold music. And that hold music never changed, right? And, and I've, been, I've been consulting with contact centers for 10 years, and I've never even once considered hold music. We've talked about the marketing messages in there, et cetera. But um, when, you're, when you're in pain and you're nauseous and you're on your way to the hospital and you hear that same music, um, it starts to trigger a sensory emotion, right? And now, you know, after, after I was, um, the cancer was gone three months, six months later, and I'd call them for my surveillance check. I'd hear that music and I'd, I'd almost need to run to the bathroom because it would just trigger this nausea in me. And the same thing is happening with, um, there's a very specific brand of mask now because this whole time in chemo, I had to wear a mask because it was at the height of COVID. And if I smell that brand of mask, again, I get nauseous. And so um, these are the little things that I wish, I even actually told one of the managers, like, hey, can you change the whole, it's those little things that 
we don't think of when we think big, big picture consulting, but it makes or breaks someone's day as a patient. So I, I think enormously important point, and you know, let's let's talk in generalities for a second. That whole music thing doesn't just apply to hospitals, to be clear. And you know, you brought it up the sort of marketing message. I think possibly one of the the least attractive options for anybody is to listen to marketing messaging when you're on hold in that particular condition. But interestingly, you bring up the whole music and I, I spent a lot of time in, in that space in, in terms of call centers in my career. And I know that it, it is a relatively trivial activity to offer options. And importantly, an option that says, I don't want to hear anything, which, you know, could be, or maybe just a regular tone that says, hey, I'm still here if you're on hold for an extended period of time. Yeah. Yet nobody, and I think it's really interesting, even you as an expert in this space had not even considered. And it raises the issue of how do you get that contribution to understand that? The mask problem to me is a little bit more challenging and, you know, obviously you spent time there. I don't know how you sort of resolve that. Maybe you've got some thoughts. Tell us a little bit about what you think ought to be happening and how that could be incorporated into these cancer centers in terms of feedback to allow for what is continuous improvement. Yeah, it's a totally fair question. I'm not saying every uh, cancer center or every practice should have two brands of masks for these these sort of extreme examples. But you know, had had the nurses or uh, an administrator sort of taken a little more um, feedback from patients, I think I would I would not be surprised if. Um, many patients had the same experience, right? Because there were lots of us that were in that chemo center every day. And, and, you know, I got lucky with the type of cancer I had. There were lots of people around me who were fighting for their lives, right? Mm -hmm. And so I'm not, um, not trying to overemphasize that. But um, I think that if, if there's more of a mechanism for patients to share their experience and share their feedback, rather than some texted survey or a once a month email survey that frankly, I almost never respond to. Um, I think that would go a long way. And especially in these practices where you have the recurring patients and the patients who are there for treatment every day or every week, I think you can go, you can get a lot by having a focus group or even just doing some patient rounding. You know, as operators, we do staff rounding all the time, or hopefully we do all the time. Um, why not do that with patient rounding when you have regular patients? And, you know, I try not to be a consultant when I'm a patient, because that would be really annoying as an operator. But, you know, I had ideas as a patient, right? And ideas that would make me more comfortable. And again, the nurses made me really comfortable physically. They made sure I had my heated blankets and my Gatorades and my, my crackers. Um, but to be able to, to share more about my experience with scheduling and, and reaching out to the care team would have gone a long way and, and would have helped tremendously with my overall perception of the practice and my feeling throughout that journey. Yeah, and, and, and I think it's the consistency of some of those experiences that you now associate, you know, not to, to sort of try and muddle 
concepts, but not dissimilar to the neural pathways that emerge as a result of PTSD. It's, you know, very similar sort of process that we associate um, in those particular elements. Let's talk a little bit about some of the other things. I mean, you know, you're interacting with this group, this team, um, for an extended period of time. How did that go? What were some of the positives and, and negatives there? Yeah, I, I do want to make sure I'm not just um, going all negative on this practice because they, they had some some great features. And this practice in particular had gone a, a pretty good direction in terms of their digital journey. So I, I utilized their patient portal a ton. Um, you know, I'm a millennial. I don't want to be on a phone. So uh, I, I messaged them for almost anything I could. Um, and they were really great about that. Uh, I could, you know, basically text with the nurse at almost any time. Um, I, could, I could do bill pay online and they would combine all my bills. So I wouldn't have to put in that stupid 10 digit code at each single visit, which would have been dozens and dozens of visits. There's a lot I could do online. Um, and so I really appreciate that. I also appreciated their team-based model of care, where if I needed to have a visit, um, I wouldn't have to wait for my oncologist's next visit. Uh, uh, an, an NP would see me, they'd have me see the nurse, and I could see any oncologist in the clinic, and they'd be able to pick up my care and just run with it. Uh, I think that's especially important in oncology, but a lot of these medical specialties, that team-based model of care is doable and is really important for the patient. Uh, and I, I see that as a big plus, especially if you give the patient the option. You can see your oncologist this afternoon, or uh, sorry, your oncologist in a couple of days, or you can see his partner this afternoon. And, and personally, I'll, I'll choose the partner this afternoon, nine times out of 10. And so there's a lot they did, especially with communication and also with, with the journey that I think went well. There are some things I wish they, um, they had thought about more in the digital realm. Um, online scheduling uh, hadn't been activated at that point for them. It would have been great to be able to schedule these appointments um, on, by myself without, without having to call in. Um, but most of it was more of the feel and less of the, the logistics that they, they could have helped me with. So, I, you know, some positive experiences, some interactions, I think, you know, that that communication channel is essential for patients that, you know, adaptability. And I imagine you saw a, a, a wide range of individuals and maybe they had different views, um, you know, depending on their age range. I think we see that with, you know, older patients wanting phone interaction. Um, it, it, it's, it's also a, um, a sequencing activity because it's not just one thing typically because you have to come in. How did all of that go? And, you know, what could they do better that you hadn't seen or hadn't thought about as a, a, an expert, essentially in this kind of field, but now change the perspective and bring something that is completely unique and essential? Yeah, it's, it's sort of fascinating. There, there's a ton of scheduling coordination that happens. And it's fascinating that um, when I was going through chemotherapy, 
them scheduling everything was an absolute godsend because a i had no meetings to schedule around i had nothing to do in my life except for survive <laughs> and right. so them just calling the hospitals for me getting everything scheduled absolute godsend now when i go on my every three month surveillance check and they send me a letter that says hey we scheduled these three appointments for you i have to call in and i have to call the hospital and reschedule my CT scan. I have to call the cancer center and reschedule my x-ray. I have to call the lab and reschedule um, my labs because all three of them are conflicting with when I'm on the road or a meeting. And so I wish there was a way to navigate with me as a patient and understand when they're doing me a service and when they're doing me a disservice because I'd rather they just message me or call me and let's, let's schedule this all together. Um, that was awesome during chemo that is not awesome now. And I hate the rework and all the coordination that has to happen. So uh, overall, you know, I, I clearly, I mean, I, you know, there is no better outcome than essentially yes. cure uh, all positive. But I think, you know, some important learning opportunities and, and you know, ultimately, even with all of that, it's about the interaction at the bedside, the, you know, the challenges that you experienced, that sometimes these cancer centers and, you know, clinical teams not even aware of because they're not touching. As you sort of think about this subsequently in the work going forward, how are you approaching that to make sure that you consider this way, potentially you didn't previously. Yeah, that, that's what's most exciting to me, right? Is that in terms of my, the core processes, I don't think I necessarily have any brand new recommendations or totally new perspective in terms of how to schedule with your provider, communicate with your care team, et cetera. But I think in terms of including the patient experience, that's something that our team had started doing in the last few years. And we, we started um, making sure the health system would have focus groups and, and we as a team would, would host those focus groups if they wanted us. And, and I'm pushing for that more and more because the, the patient's voice is just so important in anything, um, patient access, really anything operations. And that's so core to what we do. And yeah, the, the patient will say a lot of the same things when it comes to scheduling appointment or making a phone call. But when it comes to the actual feel and the actual experience, uh, we need to hear what, what our patients have to say. And I'm excited that more and more health systems are starting to do that. And some of them have recurring monthly patient groups that will meet on a variety of topics. And I think we as consultants and, and as operators in general, just need to think about that more and be more in tune with our patients, whether it's formally with a, a focus group like that, or even informally with some sort of rounding or huddle that I mentioned earlier. So there's nothing more challenging than being sick and then, you know, navigating a, a, a bad experience, poor experience, poor interactions. That wasn't what happened in your case. I think right. there was, you know, generally positive experiences, obviously positive outcome, different for other people, but irrespective of all of that, the overriding thing here is that we've seen, you know, the contribution of the patient voice, absolutely imperative. And in this particular instance, I would say an expert patient voice that, you know, really 
I, I know you said you wanted to be a patient and clearly you do, but the, the opportunity to deliver that e even better, more thoughtful insight as a result of sort of understanding the workings, just uh, essential. And, you know, I, I want to thank you for sharing that story. It's very personal, clearly, you know, successful outcome, but I think so important for everybody to listen to. Steve, thanks for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. As you heard from Steve, even from a professional perspective, someone who is knee deep in designing, building and advising healthcare systems on the best solutions for delivering outstanding care, there were some surprises. He was a patient before this experience, but when he stepped over the line, his perspective and view changed. Simple changes and ideas that could have made an enormous difference were not part of his experience. He was more than willing to provide his insights, but struggled to find a channel receptive to these essential opportunities. Your better pill to swallow is to add patience to everything, not as the customer, but as the advocate, advisor, and partner in delivering the best possible care. It is not enough to have patients involved. They have to be actively involved, not just encouraged, but fully funded and incentivized to contribute. Ultimately, they are the customer. And if you aren't listening to them, you are missing keen insights. Thanks for joining me, your host, Dr. Nick, on this week's edition of Healthcare Upside Down. Until next week, keep solving the business of healthcare as if your life depended on it, as one day soon, it will. That's all the time we have for today. You can find all of our episodes on your favorite listening platform by searching for Healthcare Now Radio. Also, check out our blog at ecgmc.com hud for summaries and commentary from each episode. Follow our show's social hashtag, HCUpsideDown. And join us each week as we work to solve the business of healthcare for everyone.